Hello from your favorite Grasslands PR team. This week, we are back with another reason why these overlooked and underappreciated ecosystems are objectively the best biome. I'm Rachel. And I'm Nicole. And today, <laughs> we're going to be talking about, I believe, our first insect. <gasps> oh, okay. Yeah, we did some insects on um, that... Uh, what was it? Two Truths and a Lie episode we did? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they haven't had their own dedicated episode yet. I'm mm-hmm. surprised. I know, right? <laughs> uh, but yeah, we are going to be talking about grasshoppers. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Wait, is that why somebody posted that TikTok in in a nature fight? Oh, about did you see that TikTok? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I deleted it. I was like, hopefully Rachel didn't actually see it. <laughs> I did no. see it. <laughs> oh, well. Uh, that's okay. Um, I'll act surprised when okay. you say the information. On Fantastic. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, before we jump into grasshoppers. <laughs> get it? Okay, thanks. Uh, thanks. Thanks. Okay. Uh, I just wanted to give a shout out to uh, an op-ed that came out in the Wichita Eagle, one of our local newspapers here in Kansas, uh, and... It was by the Kansas Wildlife Federation, one of the representatives there who's a landowner, and full disclosure, Nicole and I are both heavily involved in the Kansas Wildlife Federation, and so we're very excited about this from multiple perspectives. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, just a great op-ed, uh, once again pushing the call for a North American Grassland Conservation Act, which would... Uh, provide a lot of needed funding to restore and conserve grasslands across the nation, specifically um, by creating a program that would work with ranchers and private landowners to create some economic and outdoor recreation opportunities uh, here in our state and money to conserve grasslands specifically. And it's modeled after the already existing Wetlands Conservation Act. Um, This is something that uh, several organizations in North America have already been calling for, like Pheasants Forever, Quail Forever, and the National Wildlife Federation. So it's cool to see stuff like this moving forward. And uh, yeah, fingers crossed, we'll keep you posted as more information comes out on that topic. Yeah, definitely. Cool, cool, cool. And uh, that's all the news I have uh, to get us started here. So uh, let's dive in. Wait, no, sorry. Let's... um, fly in in a pattern that mimics butterflies but is actually grasshopper like in nature yeah. yes 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 and we will talk more about that don't you worry oh good but i wanted to give a quick outline of what i wanted to talk about just so you know what to expect Sick. so i wanted to highlight some cool species of grasshoppers just because grasshoppers are kind of a hard sell sometimes so i just want people to be aware of how cool they are they're beautiful, and yeah, yeah, they're just great. So we'll highlight some cool species. We will talk about their role in the ecosystem, and also talk about kind of the dark side of grasshoppers and the plagues <laughs> that they sometimes bring with them. <laughs> Fantastic! So. <laughs> it is mid-August, and I'm all ready for Spooktober. Already ready for Spooktober, so uh, let's let's uh, do all the spook stuff. Let's go, grasshoppers. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Being spooky. <laughs> uh, so, firstly, I, I did not know this, so I just want to throw this out there. Grasshoppers have been around since the early Triassic, about 250 million years ago. Wow. <laughs> okay. Didn't yeah. know that either. Yeah. They've been around for a really long time. Like, they're one of the oldest groups of insects that we still have. So they had. Yes. Did they. Did the emergence of grasshoppers coincide with the emergence of grasses on the scene? Probably. I didn't actually look it. Kind of sounds like yeah. it. Yeah. That, that seems legit. <laughs> I didn't look into it too much because I didn't want to fall down too many rabbit holes because we both know that we are very prone to doing that. <laughs> but yes, that seems like a very good guess. Oh, here. Okay, so so grasses between 70 and 55 million years ago. So that was like the end of the Cretaceous. Okay. Yeah, so, so that's like mammal time, which is why we have so many like camels and things like that that love grass. But yeah. grasshoppers must have evolved to not be... Munching on grass originally. That's fun. Yeah, yeah. And they still can definitely eat 
um, lots of things besides grasses, but they love grassland habitats for sure. Mm, Okay. But since they've been around for 250 million years, they have had a really long time to become highly specialized in what they do and highly specialized in what they look like. They have radically different body shapes, colors, and roles in their environment. Some are brown, green, black, while others are like bright red and yellow and can have stripes and spots and other really complicated patterns. Some eat very specific foods. Some are generalists. Some of those specific food grasshoppers are highly poisonous um, because of the foods that they eat. And even humans can die if we were to eat some of those poisonous species. So (laughs) they are very intense little creatures. (laughs) Can they eat Johnson grass? I don't know. I bet there's at least one that can eat Johnson grass, and I am all for using grasshoppers to control Johnson grass. That sounds amazing. (laughs) They even have uh, fairly complicated methods of communication between each other, which I found really fascinating. I love talking about communication between different animals, part of the reason why I like prairie dogs so much. (laughs) Um, And... They vary in their size as well. The smallest grasshopper is like less than an inch long, and the largest is almost four inches long. Wow. So that's a range of two to ten centimeters. So the world of grasshoppers is extremely vast, diverse, and fascinating, and I just love them so much. They're such fun little creatures. So some of the flashier ones that you can look up if you're interested are going to be the Indian Painted Grasshopper. I'll, I'll send you a pic, don't worry. I got you. Oh, me. okay, thanks. <laughs> I was Googling it, you could see me working yep. on it. There he is, he's so pretty. Oh, that's a good grasshopper. It's Look a at very his slanted face. <laughs> the outer wings have like a pink tip on them. Yeah, yeah, even the wings are colorful. Like, uh, just a gorgeous little grass. Well, not little. I think he's like one of the bigger ones at like three or so inches. And also, One that we're more familiar with here in the Great Plains would be the native rainbow grasshopper. And that one is also known as the painted grasshopper because people can never decide a common name for anything. But, you know, it's fine. They are both extremely beautiful. So, dear listeners, please, please, please look them up. Throwback to when I had a couple of them that I kept as pets for a season. Oh, they're so cute. They're so cute. I think I named them Creamsicle and push pop or something yes yes (laughs) Uh, but i love them they're so gorgeous but a lot of grasshoppers are just kind of brown and drab and a little bit less flashy but that's okay i wanted to talk about one in particular rachel already mentioned it kind of offhand but this is the species that kind of inspired this episode just recently me and rachel were kind of wandering around in a field And we saw this grasshopper fly off in front of us. And like, it made me do a double take because I was 100% sure when it was flying that it was a butterfly. And then it closed its wings and it dropped out of the sky. And I was like, that was a grasshopper. (laughs) (laughs) And I looked it up and they're called Carolina grasshoppers. They also have some fun alternative names such as the black-winged grasshopper or the road duster because <laughs> they're often found near roads. They really like disturbed areas and just kind of gravelly, uh, you know, dusty places. But they also hang out in grasslands. It's just that they're harder to see when you have grasses that are, you know, as tall as you are. But the Carolina grasshopper has a very unique way of flying that literally looks like a butterfly. It's very lazy and kind of zigzaggy. And it's not just that typical, you know, you scare a grasshopper, it flies straight in front of you, and then it lands. It's it, They can do all sorts of really cool kind of maneuvers in the air. And they're just beautiful. When they open up those wings, they have black with a little bit of a yellow highlight on the edge of the wing. Very, very distinctive. And when they're sitting still, they're just kind of brown. They're very unassuming, and that helps them blend in really well to their environment that they live in. And this kind of camouflage is one of my absolute favorite kinds of camouflage. 
and it relies on distraction. So like I said, their, their wings are very flashy. That bright yellow when they start flying catches your eye or catches a predator's eye. And when they close their wings, that bright spot disappears and it makes the grasshopper disappear as well because you're following that yellow. It closes, it closes its wings, drops to the ground, and you cannot see it. They literally just disappear. So it's extremely, extremely useful. A lot of different animals do it, not just grasshoppers. A lot of tree frogs will have yellow spots on the inside of their legs that they uh, will flash whenever they jump. And then when they close their legs, they blend right back into wherever they are. So really, really cool. If you want to look up more about this, look up flash coloration. Again, lots of different insects like grasshoppers and moths use these, but also some frogs. But this flash coloration isn't even my favorite thing about the road duster. <laughs> my favorite part <laughs> is that unique flight and also its mating behaviors. So oh, like not, I said, not the name Road Duster, because that's a I pretty mean, good name. <laughs> the name Road Duster is very good, and I'm using it for the rest of this little section just Fantastic. because it's so good. <laughs> uh, but yeah, they have that very lazy zigzag flight, which is extremely unique. And they will even, uh, when they're trying to impress a female, the males will actually fly straight up in the air and hover <gasps> like a dragonfly. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that is not something that I knew that grasshoppers were even, like, mechanically capable of. Yeah. Yeah, and I've never seen it happen in real life. I've seen the I've seen the uh, road duster, you know, flying, but I've never seen it just, like, hover. So, or maybe I have, and I just thought it was a butterfly. I don't know, but, or, like, a dragonfly or something. Uh, but, like, yeah, it, it's crazy. And, like, even most birds can't even really hover that well. Mm -hmm. Whenever you find a bird that hovers, it like, they mention that. It's like, it's known for hovering because it's unusual. It's hard to hover. I'm not sure how this little grasshopper is capable of doing it, but I love it. <laughs> it's so <laughs> cool. And after they kind of show off by just hovering in the air for a really long time, showing off how strong they are, they will land behind, beside the female and they'll sing a song together. And <gasps> once she decides that that song is good enough, then they will, you know, mate and lay eggs and all that good stuff. But I just love how involved their mating process is. And just, yeah, it's super cool. They do wet together? They sing. They both do, though? Male yeah, and female? Yeah, they both oh my sing. God, duetting yeah. grasshoppers. I did not realize that was a behavior in grasshoppers. I know. It's so cool. We always talk about the males, you know, singing for territories and singing to impress females. But there are several species, or maybe more than several species, of grasshoppers and crickets where the females will sing as well as part of the mating display and, you know, pair bonding. Wow. Wow. Yeah. We talk about this a lot in uh, ornithology because this is a pretty well-known behavior in birds, but female song is still so obscured because of our weird patriarchal history of biology. Yes. <laughs> and uh, it's it's wild to see it. I mean, I guess it shouldn't surprise me to see it in grasshoppers and crickets and stuff too, but I I'm mad that I haven't encountered it before because I feel like I spend a lot of time reading about female song and stuff. Yeah. No, yeah, I hadn't heard about it either. Like, so cool. Like, I had to, like, double take. So I found a video of... Let me find it. Here. Oh, they're so cute. First of all, I found a video of the aerial, you know, hovering in place display. Oh, but I no also way. found video of, you know, this grasshopper landing beside another grasshopper and they start singing together. And I was like... Is it two males doing a territorial thing? But, like, why would they do that right after the mating display? But sure enough, the females sing, too. Yeah. Wow. Oh, that makes me so happy. That's so yeah. cool. Okay, I'm going to watch this video real quick. You're going to get a live. Oh, look at him hovering. It does not look like a grasshopper. It looks not like a dragonfly, honestly, just with really thick wings. Yes. Wow. Wow. And I'm going to send you this other one, but it's kind of long, so don't watch it right now. Oh, okay. But it's a poem about the Carolina grasshopper, and it's very cute, and it has really good uh, video <sighs> of them, you know, flying and doing their mating display and stuff like that. It's very good. I will link it in the description. No. Don't you worry. 
This is so cute. I can't. Okay, okay, okay. I'm I'm uh, I'm here for it. Thank you so much for exposing me to this beautiful grass. Who knew when we saw this grasshopper flying and your like face lit up and you were like, oh, it's mimicking a butterfly, <laughs> that there was so much more to this little animal that we've probably seen before in passing. Oh, yeah. We've lived here like most of our lives. Uh and just never, never took the time to like really let it catch our eye before yeah seriously Ugh, i just love them but yeah that's the carolina grasshopper aka the road duster aka the black winged grasshopper lovely little grasshopper Ugh, just so good <laughs> man i might have a new favorite grasshopper now i liked the plains lover before but <gasps> yeah <laughs> they're pretty cute but they're man, pretty cute <laughs> road duster though it's so good. <laughs> it's so good. Um, for those of you who aren't super familiar with insects, um, grasshoppers do the same thing to make their songs that crickets do, which you're probably familiar with, which isn't really like rubbing the wings together, but they have like sharp spines and hooks on their legs that they use to kind of rub it almost like a washboard to, to rub their wings with. So they, they generate those really high chirps uh, mechanically. They don't have vocal cords or anything like that. Yes. And it is called stridulation which is a great vocab word stridulation i will say though that some grasshoppers are rubbing their legs against their wings but some of them are actually rubbing their legs together oh fun yeah okay are some of them also rubbing against like their their thorax or something or their abdomen something like that yeah Yeah. there's a lot of different ways they can make that noise and it it also differs between like grasshoppers versus crickets versus katie does versus you know Mm. all those other little guys yeah, super cool. Yeah. <laughs> but let's look at some more bigger picture items when it comes to grasshoppers. I just really wanted to sell how magnificent these creatures are to you first. <laughs> to you, the so, listener. Uh, yes, yes, yes. Not- yes. <laughs> I'm a convert already. <laughs> <laughs> you have to be if you're my friend. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Not sorry. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but so... What is a grasshopper's role in their ecosystem? Grasshoppers are really good at two things. Are you asking me? Oh, yeah. Please, if you want to. What are the two things they're really good at? Okay, grazing. Yeah, eating things. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. the. Oh, being food. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I had written down. (laughs) Uh, Yep, eating and being eaten. Those are the two things that grasshoppers are very good at. That's fantastic. This is some pretty basic functions. So good, yeah. good job, grasshoppers. <laughs> That's important work. Yes, yes, it really is. So I started to fall down this rabbit hole and I kind of dug myself back up. <laughs> but in grasslands around the world, grasshoppers can be actually really major herbivores that keep those grasslands healthy. Yeah. I don't they, know why I said it like that. I just got excited. I love it. I love okay. the enthusiasm. <laughs> well, it's, it's like, it's just so cool because uh, they're such a huge part of the ecosystems that yes. they live in and they kind of get overlooked and we always think of like the big mega, I mean, even us, like we're always talking yes. about mega herbivores and stuff like that and rarely discussing things that are quite small, even if they're furry, let alone things that are insects. <laughs> Yes. Insects that are, yeah, extremely important grazers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Add anything you'd like to this section. I kind of fell down a rabbit hole with one specific paper. It is from 2014 in the journal Ecology, and it is called Positive Interactions Between Large Herbivores and Grasshoppers and Their Consequences for Grassland Plant Diversity, which has like so many buzzwords, and I love it. Hmm. It's a very good paper. This paper looked at the interactions specifically between sheep and grasshoppers and found that when they were both grazing in an area, that not only did both animals benefit from that interaction, but the species diversity of the plants in that area, so how many species of grasses and flowers, uh, dramatically increased. Hmm. And... One reason for that is that sheep and grasshoppers are eating very different plants, so they are not competing for food. And this difference in diet also meant that the grasshoppers could kind of eat back plants that the sheep didn't like and allow the sheep to access better forage. 
Of course, this does go, you know, both ways. And the study found that the amount of grasshoppers in those pastures with sheep were significantly increased when compared to areas without sheep. And this study is obviously just one study in, in one particular grassland in China over a relatively short period of time, but I would love to see more in-depth studies looking at like multi-year, you know, data and things like that to kind of see how the abundance of grasshoppers could lead to better and bigger, you know, livestock yields and things mm. like that. And it is something that this paper mentioned that they want to do in the future as well. Yeah, wow. So that that brings a lot of additional implications for the type of pest management we currently have. Yes. Running rampant and taking out a lot of those animals, which can be agricultural pests. Absolutely. But are providing some really important ecological functions. And apparently, yeah, could really benefit uh people who are using the landscape for other forms of agriculture that don't involve crops, like the beef ranchers and, and other folks. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I love that it wasn't just like, oh, the land benefit and the grasshoppers benefited, but like the livestock did too, um, because they had better forage. And it, mm. yeah, just super cool. Yeah. One thing that I found absolutely ridiculous about this paper was how they found out which species of plants the grasshoppers preferred because grasshoppers are very small and you know most diet studies are going to involve observing the poop of the animal or the stomach contents but that's pretty much impossible as far as i know with grasshoppers yeah what uh okay yeah is it i mean could could you look for dna sequences in grasshopper poop for the different species of grass you probably could look for DNA sequences, but that's extremely expensive and time-consuming. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, fine. It's not, <laughs> not financially efficient, whatever. Yes, yes. So what they did instead was this very dedicated group of scientists set up some cages out in the grassland and manually stocked them with grasshoppers to kind of mimic the natural amount of grasshoppers in the wider area around those cages. So they sampled an area, said, oh, there's like 10 grasshoppers per square meter or whatever, and they stocked the cages to that same number of grasshoppers. Then they chose one random grasshopper that they put in that cage, marked it with like a red marker, and they sat in the field for eight hours and watched what that grasshopper ate. Oh my gosh. It's like just a behavioral analysis. What do they, what do they call that in the zoo world? They call it a, uh, oh, there's a word for it. Oh. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Ethogram. <laughs> It's an ethogram. Oh, yes, an ethogram. Yeah, it's a, a catalog or inventory of behaviors where you just like watch watch an animal for an ex- <laughs> for a certain period of time and just record every behavior that you notice. Except that yes. you're just like, hmm, which species of grass is this grasshopper currently eating? Is it eating it? What do you like sit there with binoculars? How big are these cages? I have so many <laughs> questions. <laughs> uh, the cages were not very big. I think they were like two meters wide and one and a half meters tall or something like that. And they had five people watching each cage. Oh my God, that's so (laughs) many For eight hours. I know. How do I get that job? (laughs) I don't know, man. But yeah, it was nine to five, five people watching one grasshopper in five different cages. So 25 people out out in the grassland just staring at some grasshoppers. Yeah. I cannot, ex- I'm like beaming from ear to ear and I cannot express how like delighted that makes me. <laughs> like just to know that somebody did that. Were they probably yes. an unpaid undergrad intern? Yes. But like what a great way to spend a day. Yeah. Like it's yeah. so, that's so much more ideal than like, I don't know, helping somebody file insurance claims or whatever <laughs> you do for eight hours in an office job. <laughs> right, right. Uh, but yeah, so some people just have the best lives. <laughs> Man. So they were very meticulous with this study, to say the least, and I really appreciate it. (laughs) My pronouns are she, her, not they, them, because I'll never be them. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Beautiful. (laughs) 
But yeah, and, and, and like Rachel was saying earlier, the implications from this study and other studies that I'm sure exist like it, but again, I was trying to not fall down a rabbit hole too far, are, are massive because we know that overgrazing by livestock is an issue, mm. especially since we know that livestock absolutely prefer specific kinds of plants. So by having, you know, tiny little grasshopper grazers included in that equation, we can help try to save our grasslands. And it's really important to keep in mind that big picture and mm. making sure that we're having, you know, a holistic approach to conservation and not just, oh, we need to put bison back out. That'll fix it. Right. But, yeah. So <laughs> it's not yeah. just the mega herbivores that are important. It's the little guys too. Man, it's too bad we don't have historical data on how much grasshoppers consumed when we did have a lot of native ungulates. I mean, I guess we could look at like how much they consume now compared to livestock or whatever. But yeah, I went I went back to that um, my episode notes for the the one we did that was two truths and a lie, mm-hmm. and uh, let's see, I think it was in Serengeti. Uh, like where they have a lot of mega herbivores, they they consumed. 68% of all the grass consumption, but grasshoppers were 27%. So they were like hot on the tail, like as the second most uh, bigger, biggest consumer. And that's like significant. Yeah. You know, 30% of all the grass consumption that occurred in that habitat was grasshoppers. Yeah, that's absolutely And that's where insane. a lot of things are eating the grass. Yeah. So yeah. Like, I wonder what that's like for... North American grasslands. And it makes me like a little bit, I, I realized as you were saying that, like it made me a little anxious to think that uh, grasshoppers could perhaps be seen as a competitor for cattle um, and other grazers that are out there, sheep, but just cattle are the biggest ones around here. Um, but they're yeah. eating different foods. Exactly. So, so yeah. documenting and cataloging that really helps. And, and yes. if you can show that it's increasing the diversity and maybe that's benefiting your cattle too, then that's yep. so good. Yeah. So, so, so good. So grasshoppers are important as grazers. Yeah. The other thing they're good at is being eaten. <laughs> being eaten. <laughs> Which I've talked about a lot of animals that are really good at that. I, I don't know why. But that's okay. Well, I think that's like an important function that everything that isn't huge provides yeah. in their ecosystem. I mean, for the mm-hmm. most part. You're right. You're right. <laughs> but many, many, many animals rely on grasshoppers either as a main part of their diet, you know, throughout spring and summer and fall or whenever the grasshoppers are available. Or like in the case of the coyotes, as we now know, just a nice little protein bump in the fall right before winter. Mm-hmm. So birds, mammals, other insects, lots of animals absolutely love to chow down on a juicy, delicious hopper. And, well, you should too, dear listener and Rachel. <laughs> oh, I, oh, I'm here for it. I have, I have had grasshopper. Have you? I have, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Not a lot, but I did have it once. Yeah, but I didn't know um, either. I also know someone that, <laughs> I, mean, I guess they were crickets and not grasshoppers, but made uh, cricket cookies and brought them in to share in my entomology class. It was pretty great. <laughs> nice. Not very many people partook. <laughs> no, no. Uh, but it was, it was pretty great. Yeah, crickets so, are probably easier to find Yeah, to, crickets, to try. Crickets are already mass-produced because we use them a lot as feeder insects. Grasshoppers, on the other hand, we don't really. Mm. But it doesn't mean that grasshoppers aren't used in, you know, a lot of cultures around the world as a really good protein source. Mm-hmm. Uh, grasshoppers and a lot of different insects contain more protein than fish, chicken, pork, or beef and are excellent sources of vitamin A, B, C. They're rich in fiber and they contain a lot of magnesium, calcium, and zinc as well. You know, we talk a lot about superfoods, and usually those are some kind of fruit, uh, but insects (laughs) are amazing sources of so many different kinds of, you know, nutrients and and calcium, not not calcium, I mean calcium, but I was going to (laughs) say calories, but they are actually a little bit poor calorie-wise. You have to eat a lot of them to, you know, be full, but they also have a lot of babies and are very numerous so it's not that hard to eat a lot of them 
Sure, yeah. And a lot of nutrient-dense foods aren't going to have a lot of calories, and you're not eating yeah. them for the calories. You're eating them for all the nutrition that they give you. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I bet I bet you could find grasshoppers in some markets. I've, I've told you oh, this yeah. before, but like when I was in elementary school, one of my friends uh, in my class, uh, his family was Southeast Asian, and he would bring grasshoppers to school in his lunch some, sometimes. That's got, awesome. Tried, that was the first time I ever ate grasshoppers, and I was like, all right, this is really good. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's you know? really cool. So, like, I bet, like, there has to be not only, like, oh, you can probably order them online. I'm, I'm certain you'd order them online. But I'm yeah. sure there's markets where you could go find some nice grasshoppers to fry up and mm-hmm. season. And, I mean, it's like potato chips, except they don't dissolve on your tongue. <laughs> you know, like, that's the only thing. I think that's, like, the biggest complaint I heard the most recent time we had a bunch of crickets that were being passed around to people was that it was, yeah. like, kind of unsettling that – the exoskeletons don't dissolve on your tongue. And I've never forgotten that. I forgot who said that. It was one of our friends. Maybe it was Lindsay, but. Um, That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> now I'm thinking about it and mm, that is weird, but delicious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And there's, there's a lot of different ways you can, you can fry them up. You can boil them. You can do all sorts of different things to prepare them. So it's not just like. You're grabbing a live grasshopper and eating it. You can do that. But yeah, you cook mm. them just like you cook anything else. And it's not that weird. <laughs> no. You could probably also, I wonder if the the cricket flour and those kinds of products mm-hmm. that they make where it's like pulverized and can be used as like a flour substitute. I wonder if that is still nutrient dense or if you lose a lot of the nutrition. Because like if the texture thing is what gets to you, which is so valid, uh, there's other... F- Ways to eat it that's a different texture, I guess. Oh my gosh. Okay. Oh no, what? <laughs> okay. I was not sure if cricket flour had a lot of nutrients in it, so I, I googled it and I found this company. We're not endorsed. I don't know who they are. They might have horrible practices. Who knows? Do your research. But <laughs> <laughs> they are called exoprotein. EXO protein. And they make protein bars and protein shake powder that is made out of crickets and you can buy it and they say you know that it's super good for you it's a superfood all that good stuff and i really really love that apparently they're farmed with love in austin texas so (laughs) hey austin that's sick super cool but yeah so maybe something to look into seems kind of cool Seems very ethical, too. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Raising insects. That was the next thing I wanted to talk about. Raising insects (gasps) as food is very good for the environment. They use far less water and food and space than raising more traditional livestock. They produce way less waste. And Mm. just are... It's a really good alternative uh, and a green alternative to some of our more traditional foods, or mm-hmm. I guess some cultures' more traditional foods. Sure. The United Nations published a book in 2013 called Edible Insects, Future Prospects for Food and Feed Security. It is an amazing resource for anyone that is interested in insects as a food source. And according to this book, I'm just going to throw some quick facts out at you guys. Livestock rearing is responsible for 18% of all greenhouse gas emissions, which is even higher than, like, our transportation emissions around the world. We always are like, oh, carpool and da-da-da-da-da-da, but livestock rearing puts out more emissions than, you know, all of our cars and buses and everything else. That is wild. Yeah. The book goes on to talk about how agriculture also currently accounts for about 70% of global freshwater use. Jeez. 70%. That's That's an insane amount of water. Insane. They also break down the nutritional content of various insects, as well as the use of edible insects to provide income to people and how best to promote insects as food. And even though grasshoppers in particular are a little bit difficult to raise in captivity at the moment, um, it it could absolutely become a very ethical and nutritious and 
staple protein for the world's population once we figure out how best to raise them. I know there's a lot of like mealworms are used a lot also in, in diet and diets around the world. Um, and those are extremely easy to raise. We have it down to pretty much a science. Um, so it's only a matter of time before we get crickets and grasshoppers down to that as well. And mm. if you're, I mean, they just use so much less space and water and everything, and they're still an amazing source of nutrition. So I think entomophagy, the eating of insects, is how we're going to save the world. I'm just saying. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's that's legitimate. And I mean, obviously, there are a lot of different dietary changes that people could make that would have similar effects. But um, it can be harder to get all the nutrition you need or all the protein you need. And raising insects is a viable alternative. Yes. Or at least, um, I don't know. I'm not not here to like, and I know Nicole isn't, I'm not here to shame anybody for choosing to eat certain types of meat or meat in general or anything like that. Like I eat meat. I would eat more meat if I wasn't literally allergic (laughs) to a large portion of the meats that are available. Thank you, ticks. Uh, But, um, you know, it's it's something that's pretty well known and well documented that even just reducing how frequently you consume meats, especially certain types of meat, is a really good way to go. And, uh, you know, if you're able to get your own meat, that's a super incredible ethical way to go as well. but uh, yeah, also eating insects, you know, just little little changes that we could make. Also, I think it's going to be easier to farm crickets on Mars than cattle. So, <laughs> yes. you know, it's probably a good technology to have down. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> when we inevitably destroy the Earth and have to search for other planets to live on. Oh, gosh. Okay. Just kidding. At that point, we're all screwed. <laughs> yeah, probably. There's probably. not another Earth out there. That took a very <laughs> weird sci-fi turn. Um, but, that's you know, okay. that's what happens sometimes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. But maybe it won't come to that. If only we'll eat some bugs. <laughs> eat bugs! <laughs> yeah. Uh, but- so... Oh, sorry. No, I was like, are you, is this a, is this a conclusion? Because my concluding no. thought of this is that we just need more grasshoppers in the world. But okay, yeah. Yeah, we do need more grasshoppers, but not too many. <gasps> is it the next one? Yes. Thanks oh, for segue. You're welcome. <laughs> it was a very lumpy segue. Eh, that's fine. Yeah. We need more grasshoppers, but not too many. Because then you get these huge sp- plagues of grasshoppers that destroy everything it's great it's not great it's awful okay but what if hang on hang on hang on just just as i know you're gonna get into like some meaty grasshopper destruction facts here in a second so i just want to i just want to head that section off by saying but what if we all ate them true i think it's something to consider (laughs) okay anyway please continue talk about how destructive they are (laughs) okay fantastic well, Rachel, this was supposed to be a surprise, but you watched that TikTok and it ruined everything. <laughs> What's the difference between a grasshopper and a locust? Um, I actually already knew this before oh, okay. the TikTok. Well, yeah. So, so the difference <laughs> is uh, just aggregating behaviors. I actually think this is something I, I had also maybe mentioned at some point because I, okay. I, I don't know. Whenever you're talking about grasshoppers. You know the the plagues of them mm-hmm. is and the the locust conversation always comes up because yeah you know working with the public people are very confused about locusts Lo- mm-hmm. locusts there you go not locusts that no lo- locusts loci lo- loci no. <laughs> I think you just put an s on the end oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay sorry I I. I'm just going to say that it's a difference in behavior and that there are certain conditions which can cause certain species of grasshopper in particular to uh, have like aggregating swarming behaviors. There are grasshoppers in North America, for example, that are pretty well known for their uh, swarming behavior on the Great Plains. And when you talk about like historical locust swarms uh, that, you know, you can track them down to like literal species that have yeah. aggregated that year. Um, but I, I don't remember exactly how that happens or under what conditions that happens. Okay. 
Yeah. Well, let's let's figure it out together. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like you said, it's only a few select species uh, that have this that are called locusts and have this aggregating or what's the other word for it? Gregarious nature. Ah, okay. So there are over 10,000 species of grasshoppers in the world today, but only about 20 of them are considered locusts. And yeah, so very, very few. And the locusts are almost like another morph of the grasshopper. So locusts Mm. can be solitary. They can live normal grasshopper lives, but then something switches in them and they become locusts essentially. And they are now gregarious and they, they swarm in these absolutely huge numbers and they can be extremely destructive. So they have a solitary life and this highly gregarious life, which I thought was very fascinating. I don't think that most people realize that. I think they think, oh, it's a locust. It swarms, you know, every year it's always bad. But the thing that kind of triggers that switch in them is a lot of times triggered by drought. So Mm. a really bad drought will force them together in a really small area. And this crowding increases the serotonin in their little grasshopper brains. (laughs) And that is what makes them start reproducing en masse and even maturing at an increased rate. So they actually grow faster and they grow into their adult final instar. I almost said form or like evolution, <laughs> like Pokemon. Oh my um, god. <laughs> uh, but yeah, they grow into their last final adult instar and they can now fly. So they actually are maturing faster whenever they're in this uh, locust phase of their life. Fascinating. And, Ooh, that's yeah. cool. So cool. And as that swarm is growing, the serotonin is still there because they're in huge numbers and they are just reproducing more and more and more and more. And they have to become nomadic in order to feed themselves and they just grow and grow and they need to find more food. So it's just a never ending cycle until eventually they kind of crash either because you know, they run out of food or, you know, winter comes and they all get killed out by winter or what have you. And when they're in this highly social phase of their life, they also have larger brains, higher endurance, and can even change their body shape and color. They look completely different when they're in this uh, gregarious phase of their life. Some species can even travel over 300 miles in a day in order to find food. Oh no, that's horrifying. That's so far. (laughs) Wait, so hang on. When they change the the morph or like their like whole like phenotype changes, right? Yeah. Are they only changing if they're the ones that grew up in this like serotonin field swarm, or is is that including the ones that like already were? in the swarm as adults and laid all the eggs. I'm assuming that it's going to be kind of the next generation. Yeah, um, okay. That would be insane. But I mean, there are animals that, you know, like testosterone can do crazy things to animals. It can make them, you know, grow bumps or tubercles or like whole appendages in order to, you know, have their mating season occur. So maybe serotonin really is that powerful in grasshoppers. I am not 100% sure on that. Yeah, they totally have to have, like, an additional molt, though, for that to happen because of their exoskeletons. Yeah. So it would be mm-hmm. so different from just growing a, a set of horns. That would be really yeah. fascinating if they just, like, had a spontaneous molt and turned into something different. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's, like, uh, aphids have, you know, those spontaneous – now they have wings because there's too many of them around. And they're going to oh. start, you know – dispersing and finding better places uh termites go through that as well some ants will grow wings or oh too many ants around gotta go find somewhere else to live uh, so it's not completely unheard of and you mentioned you know historic plagues um, one of the most famous by far is the 1874 plague of locusts these were rocky mountain locusts at least in the u.s 
these are Rocky, Rocky Mountain locusts, and they descended upon the Great Plains uh, the spring and summer of 1874. They destroyed um, people's farms and orchards. They ate people's clothing and their other linens when they got in pe people's houses. And Ooh. there's even reports of them eating wool off of the sheep's backs. Oh, my God. Those poor yes. sheep. What the hell? <laughs> so, like, when you have so many mouths to feed, they literally are eating absolutely everything that they can which is just insane and since there's so many insects like they were literally like when they would get pushed up against a fence you would have like two or three feet deep of locusts just like pushed up against this fence just the whole ground was alive and when you went <laughs> and you walked out into this swarm they would take up off the ground and almost cause like blackout conditions there's reports of like the sun being blacked out for like hours at a time as the locusts swarmed through just That's absolutely insane yeah as a biologist that sounds like such a cool experience as just like a human being trying to live in the world that sounds horrifying <laughs> yeah seriously uh and like i mean they got in people's houses like there was yeah there's nothing you could do like they were just absolutely everywhere and there's reports of this one and more recent plagues where, you know, overnight the grasshoppers would move in. Like, farmers would scare off all the grasshoppers before they went to bed. They'd wake up the next day and their fields were just destroyed. Like, there was nothing they could do. Right. Man. Yeah. And kind of an interesting side effect of this was people were so desperate to make ends meet after this that many settlers either simply moved on, abandoning their homes, or they turned back east. Um, but I found this interesting quote from um, historynet.com, and it says that in 1874, the amount of buffalo bone transported by the railroads was three times what it had been the year before, so people were so desperate to find any way to get money that, you know, they started shooting buffalo and like three times the amount of buffalo, at least, were harvested that year as a direct response to, you know, their their livelihoods being destroyed. Just absolutely insane. Wow. And the Rocky Mountain locust is now extinct, so you don't have to worry about that particular species, at least. The last specimens are recorded in 1902. But it's not just the Rocky Mountain locust that, has, that can swarm like this in huge numbers. A more recent uh, plague <laughs> was in Africa in 2020. It started in 2019, but became even worse in 2020 amid the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic. Millions and millions and millions of grasshoppers tore across the landscape, and this particular species is the gregarious desert locust. It's one of the most famous um, ones that are still alive. It often is ravaging, like, I think it's like 60 different countries across Africa and Asia. Wow. But it was especially bad in 2020. And this is a locust. He weighs two grams. It's a, it's, it's a big locust, but it's also, you know, it's two grams. How much damage can something that weighs two grams do? That's literally the weight of like a ruby-throated hummingbird for yeah. re reference. <laughs> <laughs> um, but these locusts are in swarms that are 80 million individuals strong <laughs> 80 million those two grams of food that an 80 million strong swarm can eat is equivalent to 35,000 people's worth of food in just a day golly all of that just gone and this particular swarm of locusts was especially bad because people were defenseless against it. Um, whenever you have these swarms that are literally uncontrollable by any other way, uh, pesticides are highly used, um, especially in the early morning or late evening as the locusts are asleep. 
Mm. They will very selectively spray them, and especially when they're younger and more susceptible to it. So they're not just like pouring, you know, pesticides everywhere. It's it's very selective most of the time, um, which I think is really really cool. But they those pesticides were unavailable to people because of the interrupted supply lines because of the pandemic. And so these these populations just exploded and there's nothing that people could do. So there's some worry that actually this fall in 2021 that it will be as worse, if not even worse, Ooh. than what we saw in 2020. Yikes. And like I said, like the these swarms are getting worse and worse. And a big component of that is things like drought, mm. and that's climate. Mm change induced drought um and just the warming planet grasshoppers love it hot they do really well in heat so they are thriving as the planet is changing and so these numbers are not normal while swarms of you know locusts are normal the numbers that we're seeing them in now is absolutely not normal Man, yeah, I was thinking about that the entire time you were talking about how bad this was that like mm-hmm. in the very beginning you were like, yes, drought conditions is what causes this. And it's like, ah, oh, man, that's a prediction yeah. for so much of the world where grasshoppers are, including yep. where we live. Uh, and we mm-hmm. have swarming grasshoppers. So oh, yeah. locusting grasshoppers. Yeah. <laughs> man. Yeah. I was also wondering, that kind of brings up like I – you, you talked about they keep going until they crash, and one of the reasons they might crash would be something like winter, which, okay, I imagine that would be effective here. But, like, yeah. what happens to swarms when there isn't a winter, like swarms in Texas or – yeah. I, I don't know. Where else is it hot all year? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I think – I want to say that most of the uh, locusts, so the swarming grasshoppers, are in a lot of temperate areas. But yeah, if you don't have a winter to kill them off, it it kind of is a boom-bust cycle. Adults are only going to live so long uh, they die off, or perhaps if they last long enough, then more predators will come to, you know, help pick those off. But yeah. Very intense boom-bust cycle, to say the least. Mm. Mm. Yep. But yeah, it's it's a side effect of climate change that is not talked about enough. So I just wanted to make sure that it was covered in this episode. It's not easy to think about, and there's no easy solution. But it's really, really important that people are aware of these issues. Yeah. It's hard to understate how important, like, the, uh, I don't know, landscape-level change is when we're considering, you know, it's it's so much more than just, well, it's going to be a little hotter, so yeah. we're going to be, or, like, the people on the coasts are going to struggle, and it doesn't really affect me here in Nebraska or whatever, but yeah. um, it's coming for us all, and it's going to affect um, every facet of the ecosystems that we're in, and in ways that we can predict and know about, so yep, it's good to be aware of and to think about, I guess. I said that in, like, a really defeated way, but, like, I was... You did. I, it's only because I was thinking in my head, I was like, who needs to be thinking about this, though? Because, like, it's maybe not, yeah. like, super important for the everyday American uh, to be thinking about it, for example, but maybe people who uh, are in the agriculture side of things need to be thinking about it, and people who are yep. making plans and considering climate change actions and legislation and stuff, maybe they should for sure be thinking about it. And yeah. that's why it's good for us to talk about it, because the more people who are aware, the more likely it is to get to those people who need to hear about it. So, yeah. Yes, absolutely. And the average person can vote, can vote for, you know, members of Congress or whatever you have that are promoting green energy, earth-friendly practices, all those things. Like, yeah, unfortunately, especially in America, the people that have power have all of the power. Like, the average person (laughs) 
can't do a lot other than making sure that the people in power are the right people. And are held accountable in whatever yes. way we can. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Maybe try eating some bugs while you're at it, too, though, you know? <laughs> and I, I don't want to... I don't want to make anyone feel bad, like we said earlier. I don't... Don't try to put the world's burden on your shoulders and do the best that you can with what you have. And I mean that financially, but I also mean that mentally. Just do what you can. Make sure people around you are doing what they can. And we don't share these stories to make you feel bad, but to help raise awareness. Yeah. And... Just just as a little like layer of icing on top of that beautiful cake that we've sculpted here. Just know <laughs> that it's it's not a giant secret that the things people tell us that we as individuals can do are not effective means of change. Like everybody knows this. That's why people who are in power keep telling us this. It's because they don't want to make the changes to their corporations yep. or to their laws or to their industries that are needed. Um, mm-hmm. And so that feeling of helplessness you get uh, is by design and uh, don't let it tear you down. Make Let it, you know, let it fuel you to um, help enact the changes that are needed. And uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you're, you're not alone for feeling that way. And yes. you're being made to feel that way because people want you to feel responsible for the world instead of the people who can actually change things. Yep. Yeah. That was, was that, is that going to make something that you can edit together into a more coherent sentence that's not rambly? Because I feel like I was circling the drain a little bit there trying to find the the phrase that I needed. I I think it's good. I think it's good. (laughs) Okay. But yeah, we love you and every little bit helps and we believe in you. Let's do it. Yeah. That's grasshoppers. Miraculous little herbivores changing the world through what they eat and how they are eaten. Gotta love them. Can we get like a palate cleanser of just like uh, reflecting on that amazing butterfly mimicking grasshopper? Let's get a palate cleanser of um, tell me your second favorite grasshopper besides that one. Um, I can go first while you think about it. I like lubber grasshoppers. (laughs) I like them for two, three reasons specifically. Number one, they're giant idiots. And I just find (laughs) that incredibly endearing. Number two, they have like tiny little wings that are so itty bitty and pointless that uh, they cannot even fly. Wow, what a bunch of dorky weirdos. I love them. Number three, they come in pink and green. So they just give me those like a Wanda and Cosmo from Fairly Odd Parents vibes that I'm here for in nature. Yep, that's it. My favorite grasshopper, second favorite grasshopper, is <laughs> I've just always called, I've just always been told they were called pygmy grasshoppers, but I just Googled that and apparently that's like a whole family of grasshoppers so i don't know which one of those i like the best but we have some of them in kansas so whatever the one in kansas is that i've seen is my favorite one um and (laughs) so specific thanks (laughs) yes yes they're so small they're like maybe like a quarter inch long like they're very small um and they're just like brown and like green and like mossy, beautiful little guys. And they, at least ones that I've seen, really like living next, near water. And they can't really fly very good. They have super tiny little wings. And again, they're just, they're just, they're not big dumb idiots. They're little dumb idiots. And I love them. They're so cute. Amazing. <laughs> well, uh, Listeners, if you need a palate cleanser, uh, check out the videos that Nicole's going to put in our episode description. Or if she forgets to put them there, it should be on our website. <laughs> and uh, thanks for, for listening. The Best Biome is produced through our nonprofit Grassland Groupies, dedicated to inspiring the conservation of grasslands. In the show notes, again, you can find our website, phone number, social media accounts, etc. So just text, call, or tweet us your suggestions, your fan mail. Or your hate mail. Uh, we're here for it. If you have any great grasshopper recipes that we can add to our recipe books <laughs> for the apocalypse of vampire vampires, what where did that come from? I know exactly where that yeah, came from. I know we're playing D and D later tonight, and there's a lot of vampires in this Curse of Strahd campaign. Anyway, <laughs> uh, I don't remember what I was saying. Oh yeah, if you need any grasshopper, 
If you need any grasshopper uh, recipes, if you got some good ones, uh, tweet them at us so that we can add them to our uh, climate change uh, apocalypse recipe book so we can take advantage of those grasshopper swarms that are coming our way. Uh, if you enjoyed the show and want to support us, tell your friends about us, please, and leave a review on Podchaser or Apple Podcasts. It helps us, and we could not do this without your support, so thank you so much. And uh, I guess we will be seeing you again in two weeks. That's it. All right, I guess we should sign off. (laughs) Thanks for listening. You did say you're ready for spooky season, so from now until October... All of our episodes have to be spooky. Let's see how spooky I can make it. (laughs) Okay, okay. Yes, yes, yes. And watch us go back to a weekly schedule at some point during that period. So it's like (laughs) back to back to back. Spook, 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 spooktober. (laughs) Oh, gosh.